there's a serious push to indoctrinate our kids away from God and into this Marxist ideology. So, so then I started asking around to other pastor friends of mine, I'm like, hey, what are we doing about this? Are we like, are we gonna engage in this fight? Because it's a fight, it's a battle, it's coming, it's, it's already here, like whether or yeah. not we, we want it to be here, it is question is, are we going to engage? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber. I'm your host, Amber Archer, and this podcast is a behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where my husband, Mark, and I are making movies about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. It's also a great place for you to search the archives and learn more from a variety of perspectives and professionals leading the way in areas regarding faith, families, children, and the issues impacting our society. Today, I have special guest, pastor at Life Church Noblesville, political influencer and 2020 congressional candidate, Micah Beckwith, joining me today. Micah, welcome to the show. Hi, Amber. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I am so glad you're here because some of you listeners may remember Micah from last week's podcast as we shared a two-part panel discussion that we were each a part of earlier this month. If you missed those episodes, you can find them at fearlessfeatures.org forward slash podcast and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the new episodes that happen every Tuesday. So Micah, it was a great crowd packed house and lively discussion that we were a part of in Northeast Indiana regarding education during that panel discussion. And there were several things that you talked about, and I really wanted to have you on to further the discussion because we need to have these conversations. And I especially want to get a pastor's perspective. Can you tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into ministry and and how you feel the Lord calling you into the political landscape? Yeah, well, um, it's it's kind of a crazy story. I never thought I would go into full-time ministry, nor did I ever see myself being a pastor. But I I was raised in a Christian home. Parents loved the Lord and you know, ended up, you know, we went to church my whole life. I always knew I'd be a part of the church, the capital C church. And uh, I was a, I got involved in music ministry in high school and started playing the drums and and then I went to college, I went to Huntington uh, College at the time. It's now Huntington University outside of Fort Wayne. I grew up actually in Michigan. I was in Southern Michigan in a little town called Hillsdale, Michigan. And there's a, there's a college there called Hillsdale College. And it's a great, great school. Um, and my parents have been involved in the college. My uncle was a chaplain at the college there for a number of years. And, but we, uh, so I have a big love for Hillsdale, but I, it was between Hillsdale and Huntington. And the reason I went to Huntington was because I just wanted to get away from home a little bit further down the, you know, down the road than just being, you know, five blocks from my parents' house. And so, uh, so I ended up going to, going to Huntington and just majored in business management and economics and finance. And, you know, I thought I was going to go into the family business and go back to Michigan after I graduated. But, uh, I, I ended up meeting the, the love of my life in college and, and that kind of changed the, the traje- trajectory of my, of my life. It was more, uh, you know, on a, on a plane, you know, but then I met her and it just started going up real quickly. So, uh, I was like, the Lord has blessed me with, uh, uh, an amazing woman. And so I, so we ended up getting married. She's from Noblesville. So I stayed in Indiana, moved to Noblesville, but in, in kind of in the middle of all of that, uh, my music gifting kind of led me into serving in ministry around college. So I was drumming in a Christian band and at churches and stuff like that. And it just grew into being more of a ministry kind of focus. And then, and then after I, I did that for a couple of years, full time, uh, touring in a Christian band, uh, that was based out of Fort Wayne. And then, uh, 
And we were living in Noblesville at the time and the church came to me and said, Hey, would you consider jumping on board at the church and doing this at the church? And so I prayed about it and felt like the Lord, I actually didn't want to do it. It was kind of funny. I, I told the Lord, I said, I'm not really <laughs> cut out for ministry. I didn't, you know, I'm not a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. And, and, but I really felt like the Lord was telling me to do it. So I said, fine, I'll do it, but I'm going to dream big. I'm going to shoot high. I'm going to do things outside the box. I'm going to follow your, your, your leading boldly. I'm not going to care if I offend anybody. And if they offend, if they're offended and they fire me, well then good. I will be able to, I'll be released of my <laughs> calling in ministry and I will go back into the business world and I'll make a lot of money and, and just do what I always planned on doing. Well, the funny thing is when you go into ministry and you kind of have this, like this unafraid, you know, spirit and you start taking risks and you're kind of trying to get fired. Well, what happens is the Lord blesses that because you're not afraid and you start yeah. actually doing a really good job in ministry and your ministry starts growing and, and everything you're touching prospers. And, and so it just kind of actually, instead it did the opposite of what I thought it was going to do. I thought I was going to get fired pretty quick just because, you know, people were going to just get so sick and tired of me taking these risks and tell, and speaking the truth as I was led to speak it. And, and it actually kind of did the opposite. It sort of like solidified me in ministry and it, it expanded my influence and, and it grew my reach. And, and now I think the Lord's got me now for the rest of my life in ministry, unfortunately for me, but I joke, I joke, I love it. It is, it God equipped me for this now, but uh, yeah. so I don't want to sound like I'm not, I'm not blessed. I truly am, but never would have thought this in a million years. If you would have gone back 50, uh, 20 years ago and you would have said, Micah, what, where will you be in 20 years? I would not have said this place, but I'm very thankful where I'm at now. So, yeah. And so, and it's interesting because you, you started getting into the political landscape. So how did, how did that come about? I mean, what kind of prompted you to do that? Okay. So I was in youth ministry um, for 15 years. And, and so what happened was I just said, I started seeing the irrelevance of the church in the next generation. I just, like students were being indoctrinated in schools. Like I, they were coming into youth ministry or youth group on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. And they were just saying things that are so patently untrue. And, and, and I was like, how are you believing this? Not only on like yeah. faith issues, but also on like America, like they were just like, America's a racist nation. Like we're there's, you know, this pandemic of um, racism in America that's happening right now, or there's, you got all this privilege and, and we're, our, we're systemically racist and all these things where I'm like, hold on a second. If you actually knew American history, you would see how far we've come. It takes generations to root out the scourge of history. And we're finally getting to a place in America where actually we aren't being treated by the color of our skin, or, or at least that was the case up until about, you know, BLM came on the, on the scene. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so it was, it, it, I just began to hear these, these things, kind of in uh, coming out of their mouths. And I'm, 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 I'm asking myself, what the heck is going on? So I started diving into it. I'm like, Whoa, there's a, there's a serious push to indoctrinate our kids away from God and into this Marxist ideology. And so, so then I started asking around to other pastor friends of mine, I'm like, Hey, what are we doing about this? Are we like, are we going to engage in this fight? Because it's a fight. It's a battle. It's coming. It's, it's already here. Like whether or yeah. not we, we want it to be here. It is question is, are we going to engage? Well, time and time again, I heard pastors just constantly say, well, no, that's politics. We don't get into politics. Well, no, we don't want to offend anybody. 
well, no, like there's separation of church and state, like all of these things that I'm just like, okay, this isn't, I don't think how our founders envisioned it. So I, I went back and I started studying and I really became just like a student of, of constitutional history, American revolution history, um, God's word. Like, what does God say about governance first? What did our founders know to be true about God's word? How did they set up our system of governance? And I'm going to tell you right now, most pastors, I would probably say 95% of pastors have no clue when it comes to governance and God's call for the church to engage in governance. They think primarily, this is the talking point. Pastors say, I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven. Therefore, I have no responsibility to steward the United States of America because my citizenship is not really American. It's heavenly. So it, they, they absolve themselves of the responsibility to steward the United States of America by saying, uh, we just want people to get to heaven. And when, mm-hmm. it, when you start talking Republican Democrat, then people aren't going to go to heaven because you're going to offend, you know, you're going to offend people. Now, what they won't say is you're going to offend all the Democrats. <laughs> like they, most <laughs> pastors know that it's typically Republicans that are finding themselves in church more than, than, than Democrats, not to mm-hmm. say Democrats can't be Christians. So don't, don't, if you hear me say, you know, don't get all your panties in, on, in a twist here. Like I, yeah. I am not saying that what I'm saying is that primarily we just see that, you know, 80% of evangelicals tend to vote Republican and that's, that's just the statistics. And so, so I think pastors were had, you know, their, their greatest strength is they have big hearts for people and they want to see people come to know Jesus. And I do, too. I want to see as many people come to Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. You know, it doesn't matter. I want to I want you to know Jesus. But when you start talking things that seem to be political, now you're you're on the verge of offending somebody on a political spectrum. And then, quote unquote, they won't come to know Jesus. Now, there's a huge a huge theological problem with that. And this is where most pastors have to get to this place. They've got to realize the salvation of somebody is not on their shoulders, but most pastors carry the weight of salvation on their own shoulders. Mm -hmm. They say, if I say something wrong, that person's going to walk away from my church and they're never going to get saved. And then they're going to burn in hell for all of eternity. That's not, that's not scriptural. That's not biblical. God's word actually says that it's not, it's not you or me that leads people to salvation. It's the conviction of the Holy spirit that leads people to salvation. Mm -hmm. It's our job to speak truth and to speak truth in love. And, and sometimes the people that we're speaking truth to are going to say, you're unloving, you're unloving because you're speaking that to me right now. Well, just because someone says we're unloving doesn't mean we're being unloving. Speaking truth in love means that we speak truth because we love somebody, not because we want to make them feel good, but because we love them. And so what, what happened was going back, I'm sorry, this is a long answer, but the, that's okay. the, the, the pastors that I was talking, that we were talking to were just like, well, we're not going to get political. Well, I started diving into it and I said, I, God, God is absolutely calling the church to get political. Now, when I say that some people are like, oh my gosh, what a statement. But I, my, I go back <laughs> and I, I ask them, I say, I say, what do you think politics is? And most of the time when people are offended that I said, God is calling the church to get political, they're thinking that they're saying that, oh, you want the church to be Republican. No, that's not what I said. Mm-mm. I said, I, God call, is calling the church to get political, but that means getting engaged in politics. Oh, well, politics is a bad thing. Well, what's politics? Well, politics is Republican, Democrat. No, it's not. Politics is morality. It's the policies that are based upon someone's viewpoint of morality, and it creates the law and the guardrails mm-hmm. of a society. It's the governance of all of us. We exactly. have to be involved. Exactly. 
So, so what, what is the, what are pastors supposed to be doing? If not leading us in morality? I mean, that's what they do. Like we teach parents how to be good moral parents. We teach husbands how to not have affairs and to be good husbands. We teach Mm -hmm. business owners how to use their resources got from a godly perspective and to treat their employees from a moral perspective. Why in the world do we see politics any differently? Why do we not say to the, to the political leaders, we're going to come in as a church and we're going to help you lead our nation from a moral perspective. We do it in all Mm -hmm. other areas. We, I mean, literally we do it in all other, as pastors, we're, we have no problems getting into somebody's personal life when it comes to their family and say, mm-hmm. Hey, you need to, you need to step it up, dad. You need to step it up, husband, or, you know, mom, you need to, you, you like, this is what God's words and sa- says about being a, a godly mom. We do it on all other areas, but when it comes to politics, we say, Oh, that's politics. We need to stay out. Well, what's the, what is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not like darkness is its own thing. It's the absence of light. What happened was we began, the church began to abandon the political arena. And what happens with fills it all with darkness, with bad things. And now we look at it and we say, wow, politics is really dirty. Politics Mm -hmm. is a really bad arena. I'm like, yeah, you think? Because you all stepped out of it years ago. You stopped being the influencer, the moral guidelines. John Calvin said that the state should be far away from the church, but the church should be very close to the state. And his reasoning was because he said, he said, the state's not going to be the, the conscience of the church. The church is going to be the conscience of the state. Mm-hmm. And that was his whole mindset. He was, he really said the church is, has, has a duty in helping provide the guardrails for the state to, to govern morally. So anyway, all that to say, I, I started feeling God's tug to say, Micah, get engaged, get the church rally the rally, the battle cry for the church and pastors to engage in politics, because if they don't engage in politics, you're going to lose your nation to Marxism. You're going to you, you're going to lose the liberty and freedom that I have given you. This is God speaking that I have given you and your children. And so if you don't do it, if you don't engage, you're going to have no one to blame it but yourself when your kids don't have liberty and freedom. So yeah, that's a long, long testimony, but that's kind of how I got into where I'm at today. So (laughs) no, it's great. And I, and I love knowing that, especially because, you know, we we did sit on that panel and, you know, we, we piloted the release of our new documentary, the mind polluters in your church. So thank you very much for opening your doors uh, because what we've seen is there have been pastors who have agreed they've watched the movie. And then at the first hint of, you know, backlash they're like nope we're not we're not doing it and and it's hands off and they just shut it down and we're like whoa wait a minute guys we got to stand up for truth here this, yeah ever we have to stand for truth which brings me to another point um so there was a teacher because let's let's talk about education for a second yeah because you've been big on really sounding the alarm for education and parents to wake up and get involved because like at this panel discussion, there was a teacher there and trying to get him to even admit that there's truth. He says, there's no absolute truth. Mm -hmm. And and you, as a former youth pastor, you're seeing all of these kids coming out and, and they're so confused. I mean, how much is education playing into what's happening today? Oh, it's huge. From your perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, Teachers get eight hours a day with with children to teach them. Right. Um, They're they're getting more time with even parents. Uh, And, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. 
it is the question is who's doing the training. It doesn't say that train up a child in the way he's to go. And it doesn't necessarily say that that way is a good way. It just says whatever way he's being trained up in. And when he's old, he won't depart in it, depart from it. And what we're seeing is that we have this, this, the systematic takeover of education starting back in the fifties and sixties from a communist perspective. And they've been working to indoctrinate the, the colleges, but the whole goal was so that they could crank out elementary school teachers. I mean, it's really the elementary it's middle school and elementary is where the battle lines are right now. And, and it's because they know if they can get a, if they can get a middle schooler, by the time someone is 13 years old, their worldviews are already pretty much solidified. Yep. And so if they can teach them their worldview by the time they're 13, 14, 15, then they know they've got that person locked in for good. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, Abraham Lincoln said it best. He said the philosophy of a classroom in one generation is the philosophy of government in the next generation. So the communists knew in the 50s that the only the way to take over America was not to do it from outside because America has always been very strong militarily. Um, they're not going to be able to do that. But what they can do is they can break they can bring us down from within. You can. Yeah. You can vote your way into Marxism, but you're going to have to shoot your way out. And and so they just they found that they found that to be true. And so now what's happening is their fruit of their labor is pay, paying off. And now we not only have colleges that are full on Marxist indoctrination centers, we also have the teachers that are graduating from these colleges and going into education and good, you know, God and country kind of communities. They're now in the classroom teaching your son, your daughter, who you think are going to grow up and be good God-fearing patriots. They're being taught by, by teachers who adamantly disagree with you that there is a God and that America is fundamentally a good nation. And so mm -hmm. what do you expect? I always tell parents, cause I've had parents in youth ministry that their kids now are walking away from the Lord in college. They're 20. Yeah. You know, I'm old enough now to where I'm some of the middle schoolers and, and high schoolers that I used to minister to. They're now, in college or out of college. And a lot of them, unfortunately, have walked away from the faith. And parents come to me and, and they say, what did we do wrong? And I said, you gave them over to Caesar. Mm -hmm. Don't be don't be surprised when little Romans start coming home, you know, and yeah. it's and that's what's that's what's happening. And so it, fundamentally, and, and the, again, my mom was a teacher and my grandpa was a principal in the public school systems. Like I love good teachers. Te we need, we need great teachers. The, so it's not to say that teachers are the problem. Really what the problem is, if I had to put it anywhere, it's really, it's going to be on the, the shoulders of the parents. Um, parents have just basically said, I trust you government to, to train up my child in the way that should, they should go. I'm going to tell you right now, God never, ever, ever in a million years thought to give government the authority to train up children. That's not the government's role, never has been and never will be. And if they're going to do it, they're going to do it poorly. They're going to do it inefficiently. And they're actually probably going to create a lot more problems than they are, than they are, uh, you know, to solving problems. Now, I'm not saying we get rid of public education because it's here, it's here to stay. But what, what I'm, what I'm saying is we've removed the parents from the classroom and now we're not now we're not only removing them, we're keeping them out. So you see the Justice Department, you know, a few months ago came out and said parents who want to engage in their parents or in their kids education are going to be seen as terrorists. Mm -hmm. And they literally put out a memo saying parents engaging in their kids education in the, in the school board meetings are we're going to treat them as ISIS terrorists. I mean, not you're not removing parents anymore. Now you're keeping them out. And there's a reason they're keeping them out because the state thinks that they fundamentally have the right to train up the child and they want to see good Marxists who obey the system, 
who put the masks on when the when the government says to put the mask on. I'm talking about the proverbial mask, not just the mm-hmm. physical mask. But, you know, do what we tell you to do. Don't you dare question it. You listen to the government. You worship the government. Now get in line. Well, and, and also, you know, because God has been removed and, you know, prayer and everything else. But there was something you said something at the uh, at, at that panel discussion because the government's uh, communism, I think that's how you said it, communism fears the church because we don't worship no Christian, no Christ follower is going to worship the government. And that's what communism is. You must worship the government. Right. Well, the reason communist dictators and communist uh, governments always go after the church is because in order for communism to work, you have to see the government as God. Right. I mean, that's that's it. because the government tells you where you can go, what you can say, what you can eat and what you can work and how you're going to train up your children. And so in a in a, a Jesus follower, someone in the Christian faith, we'd say uh, no to the government. We say, you're not going to tell me what I do, where I go, how I live. But God almighty, Jesus Christ and his spirit in me will direct me in those things. Mm-hmm. So we worship, you know, one of the reasons when, you know, I remember Colin Kaepernick, when he was bowing for the, he would, he would, uh, he would kneel during the national anthem. I had yep. some Christian friends of mine that says, Hey, I kneel for the anthem too, because I'm showing a sign of, it's a sign of respect for, um, it's, they, were, they said they were doing it out of respect for the nation, right? It was this idea of respect. And I and I would flip it on and say, well, what do you kneel to? You kneel to the things that you worship and you stand for the things you respect. So mm-hmm. so I said, you're kneeling for the national anthem, which tells me you're you're actually you're you're physically showing from a sign of kneeling. You're showing that that you worship the flag, the nation. I will never worship the nation. I will never worship the Mm -hmm. flag. I worship God and God alone. I will never kneel for the flag. What I will do is I will stand out of respect for the flag, the nation that God has placed me in and the authority that God has placed over me in this nation, which is the constitution. I respect it highly. I'm not going to worship it though. And there's a, there's a big difference. The communism says worship the government. Christianity says, no, you worship God. One of the reasons that I've been very, outspoken against the whole shutdown, not so much that people in government didn't necessarily have the right motives. I mean, I don't know their motives. God knows their motives. I don't. Mm -hmm. And I think there are probably some good people in government that thought it was the right thing to close, to force churches to close down during the pandemic. The problem I had, the, the problem I had with that was not so much the motive. It was even the Christians were saying, just do it because the government tells you to do it. Yeah. You just stepped out of alignment of God's authority that he's placed up in, in, a, in America. In America, the authority is the Constitution. The Constitution strictly forbids the state to come into the church and tell the church what she can or cannot do. And so when they were saying, well, just do it because the government says that they're actually disobeying the authority God placed up over them. And most pastors went along with it, hook, line and seeker, sinker. And they were stepping outside the realm of Romans 13. Romans 13 says to obey the authority God has placed up over you. Problem is most pastors think that's the president or the governor or the mayor. That's not the authority God's placed up over them. The authority God's placed up over them is the constitution. And we, the people are the authority above the president and the mayor and the governor. As long as they're honoring the constitution, then we follow what they're saying. But when they Mm -hmm. were telling churches like mine or other churches to shut down, I was like, I honor God's word first and you don't have the authority to tell me to shut down. Therefore I'm going to tell you to go pound sand. And 
you know, and I think some people were like, I can't believe you're not listening to <laughs> the president or the mayor or the governor or whatever it is. I'm like, I'm listening to the authority God placed up in America. And that's the constitution. And that's yeah. we, the people ultimately. So, yeah. yeah. And you teach, you teach history. Yeah. Yeah. I teach constitutional class. Yeah. For, to high schoolers, uh, us constitution yeah. class. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought so. so. That's why it was, it was just a fascinating conversation to have because you, you also mentioned, um, at that panel discussion, you were talking about the black robe regimen. Can you just give people an overview quickly of what that was about? Cause I think a lot of people need to hear it and understand, um, just history. Yes. Yes. America would not be here today if it wasn't for pastors in the, in the late 1700s. So early on, um, you know, during the revolution, it was, it's a miracle that America's here. I mean, if you just, if you question the existence of God, just go back and study the perilous times that the founders were living in, not only during the revolution, but the, the decade after that, it took them to even bring the colonies together under one constitution. I mean, the fact that we even got the constitution 12 years later after the whole, the, the revolution was, was fought and won. The fact that we even have the constitution is a miracle in itself. So it wasn't just winning a war. It was unifying these, these colonies who were, they were not, they weren't even like, some of them weren't even very friendly to each other, to be honest with you. And, you know, they all looked at Virginia as being like this powerhouse. So little, 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 uh, you know, states like Rhode Island were like, we don't want anything to do with Virginia because they're going to tell us what we're going to do. We're not going to unify around a constitution with them. There was a, there was a hand of God at work to get our government set up. But going back to the Revolutionary War, many scholars believe, especially his, uh, military historians believe that we wouldn't have won the Revolutionary War if it wasn't for the Black Robe Regiment. And the Black Robe Regiment was, it wasn't an actual regiment itself, but it was this idea that pastors were leading their men in their congregations in the battle based on preaching that to everything there is a season, there is a time for war and there's a time for peace. And there was a famous uh, pastor, uh, his name was Reverend Mulholland, I believe. And he was, he was giving a, uh, in 1776, uh, he was giving a message in, on Ecclesiastes in his, in his little country church. And he had a black robe on and, and he preached on Ecclesiastes 3. And it was Solomon's wise writings of to everything, there is a season under heaven. And and he goes through, you know, there's a season to love, there's a season to hate, there's a season to plant, there's a season to 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 pull up, and there's a season to uh, kill, and there's a season to be born, and all of these things. And he gets to the very last uh, part of that passage in verse eight, and it says, and there's a there's a there's a time for peace, and there's a time for war. And he says, gentlemen, in this battle that we are fighting to preserve liberty and freedom, the gift of heaven for our families. Now is the time for war. And he pulled off his black robe and underneath his black robe was a revolutionary war military uniform. And, and he said, now is the time to fight. And he, and he walked out the door that day and he took the men of his congregation with him and they joined up with general Washington and they, they linked arms and fought with fought alongside general Washington and other pastors started doing the same thing. And they started leading their congregations in the battle. And I believe what the Lord is saying today in the United States, if, if there's not a, a, a revived new black robe regiment, then we are going to lose the freedoms and the, and the liberties that, that so many have sacrificed so that we can have. And, mm-hmm. and the sad thing about a lot of pastor friends that I have is, is they're, they're completely just asleep at the wheel right now. And I, I don't know if it's because 
they don't care or they're, they're apathetic. I mean, they're very, very apathetic. And I don't know if it's because they don't love the nation or what, but somehow the Lord is going to wake the sleepers up. And I think he's doing that. I think 2020 was part of the start of that. I've seen more pastors than I've ever seen in my lifetime engage in this. I mean, I started getting engaged when, you know, 17, 18, 19, you know, as a pastor, I just felt like the Lord started stirring in my heart and boy, I couldn't get pastors to really, you know, bend at all. But then 2020 happened. And, and it's funny when, when the governor, you know, I got some pastor <laughs> friends out in California, when the governor, uh, Gavin Newsom out there tries to shut them down and they're like, the heck you can't do this. They weren't political, but guess what? Now they are political. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. Like, we're not doing this again. We're never going to let this happen again. So I think 2020, the silver lining was, was the church is starting to wake up. Praise God for that. Cause we need another black robe regiment. So that's what I say. How encouraging. I mean, thank you. Thank you for sharing that because it is encouraging. I think so much, so, so many times we can look around and be so discouraged and think, how is, what's going to happen? How is this going to change? And the thing I think that people need to remember is that it's not just the pastors who need to get involved. We, everyone have a job to do as, as the church, as the body of Christ, whatever the Lord has given us to do, we need to be doing that and doing it to the fullest extent possible. Oh, hundred percent. And, and again, God, God is not giving you an option to engage in politics. Like you have to engage in politics. And it, it would be like me as a pastor saying you have an option to engage in the church or you have an option to engage in family. There are three institutions that God created in, in the Old Testament in Genesis and Exodus. You can see him set up. He sets up the family first. He sets the, the government second and he sets up the church third. OK, so you see all of these institutions begin forming around God's perfect design. And he doesn't give people an option on being engaged in any one of those. Not like he says, well, some people aren't going to have families and some people are just going to have the church and some people aren't going to have the church and others are just going to have the family. No, he says all of y'all are going to be in all three of those institutions. Now, how you are in those institutions is completely by my design. A husband's role is different than a wife's role. A child's role is different than the, the parent's role. So you're in the family, but your role is different. And it changes and morphs throughout the seasons of your life. Same thing is true in politics. You don't have a choice to engage in politics. But what your role is, it might be different than mine. My God's called me to be the tip of the spear to go in and speak truth to power and to, and to you know, be kind of an Elijah to, or John the Baptist kind of, you know, calling out the evil that I see within the government. That may not be your calling, which is fine. Don't do something that I'm doing just because I right. do it. But right. you are called to steward this nation in some way, shape or form. Maybe that's just being an educated voter. Maybe all your, maybe God is the only thing God is calling you to say, he said, maybe God's telling you say, Hey, Mike is in the battle fighting right now for truth. You don't need to do what he's doing, but I want you to research the candidates that are, you're going to be voting for and you better know who you're voting for. And, yeah. and, and, and a lot and align their, their records with my word. And if they align with my word, then vote for them. Right. And I, and I think that's the, that's where some people get mistaken. We say, Hey, get involved in politics. I think they just think run for office. No, I mean, mm. you could be an activist. You could be a, you could be a voter. I mean, just being a voter is engaged in politics, right? Yeah. You could, uh, you could be a politician. You, I mean, you could run for office. Certainly uh, you could be someone who just supports someone in in the fight and running for office. I mean, just pray, being a prayer warrior for those who are in there. I mean, that's engaged, just being an intercessor for a president and vice president and governor and mayor and like, that is engaging in politics right there. So there's many different ways to engage in politics, but you have to, you don't have a choice. It'd be like saying you don't have to engage in the church. The Lord's not going to, you're not going to be able to stand before the Lord someday and, and say, well, 
he's going to ask you why, you know, why are you, why do I have to cast you out to hell? You know, why do I have to banish you for all eternity? And you're going to say, well, I, I couldn't find a good church. And the Lord's going to say, that's not an excuse. I called I, you to go be a part of the church. And there was a church that I had for you. You just didn't engage in it. And the same thing is going to be true if we stand before the Lord and say, well, our nation went to hell in a handbasket. We lost our liberties and our freedoms and our kids became communists and, and, you know, and it all hell broke loose. Right. The Lord's going to say, well, why didn't you engage in stewarding the nation that I gave you? Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, well, because politics was so dirty and my pastor said to stay out of it. And, and the Lord's going to say, well, your pastor was wrong. And it was your fault that all of this happened. <laughs> I mean, like, and by the way, you are without excuse. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so, so, but the good news is the good news is I, I think people are starting to wake up and they're starting like, yeah, praise the Lord are starting to see it. And, uh, yeah. and, and so it's amazing. I mean, and, and again, the church will be responsible for America getting back on the right track or responsible for America going off into a cesspool of communism destruction that we have never seen before. It will, um, there, um, there was a famous pastor. Uh, he was an abolitionist. Gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now in the 1800s. He was talking about the evil within the legislative process. And he said, uh, and he was specifically referring to uh, Charles Finney. It was Charles Finney. Um, he said, uh, he said he, he was fight. He was adamantly against slavery. Well, the church has always been adamantly against slavery. I mean, like every pastor in the time of slavery should have been preaching against slavery, but some of them thought it was a political issue. So they didn't. Right. That sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Charles Finney was one of the good guys and he was out there like pounded the drum against slavery. And, and he's, and people would say to him, Charles, it's a political issue. It's a legislative issue. I can't do anything about this. I have no, I'm just a part of the church. You're just a pastor. You can't do anything about this. And his response was, he said, he said, if Satan is ruling the halls of legislation, there is nowhere else to put the blame, but that of the pulpit. Mm. So, so he basically was saying, if Satan is ruling America, and our legislative process. And if we look at Washington and we see the cesspool that it is, there's nowhere else to point blame than to point it at the church yep. and the pastors leading those churches. And so, I mean, talk about a, like a convicting call, but he is right on. And I would tell yep. any pastor that doesn't like the state of America, you don't like your youth group students coming into youth group on Wednesday night and saying, well, at school today, I learned that I could, I'm a little boy, but I could be a little girl. You don't like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, pastor, it's your fault because you haven't engaged in politics. You yeah. don't like the fact that you're seeing war in Ukraine right now. And you're seeing men, women, and children, innocent men, women, and children getting blown to smithereens. You don't like that pastor. It's your fault because you haven't engaged in the political process. You've only been saying, Oh, well, I'm just about heaven. I'm only about heaven. And we're just going to, we're going to no. you could bring heaven to earth. Like Jesus commanded us to in his prayer, as it is in heaven, as it is in, in heaven, let it be in earth, you know, on mm-hmm. earth as it is in heaven. And so, so that's, there's this disconnect, unfortunately for pastors where they say, this is heaven and this is earth. Keep the two separated. I don't look at it that way. I say, if liberty and freedom is in heaven, then as pastors, we should be fighting for liberty and freedom in this earth, mm-hmm. you know, and, and look at what the, God's word says, it says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Free. Do you know why there's such a powerful cancel culture that's coming against truth right now? It's because the devil knows that anytime truth prevails, it sets people free. And God Amen, is the brother. God of freedom. God is the God of freedom. <laughs> yep. God is hundred percent the God of freedom. Galatians 5.1 says it's for the sake of freedom that Christ has set us free. I believe that freedom is 
probably the second greatest gift given to mankind other than Jesus Christ himself, because salvation, Mm -hmm. you know, God, God knew, think about this for a second. I know we're kind of going long here, but think about this, Amber. And I'm, I'm sorry. You haven't hardly said anything. I've just been monopolizing. That's okay. I enjoy listening. I enjoy (laughs) listening, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy listening as well. People who listen like these things. Oh, good. I, I, again, I thank you for, for bringing me on, but, but think about this for one second and, you know, kind of my last thought here. So, so you go back all the way to the garden of Eden, you go back to Adam and Eve, right? The Lord gave Adam and Eve everything. I mean, he said, you can, you have dominion over the whole earth. There's nothing you can't have except for except. this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did God do when he placed that tree in the garden. He gave Adam and Eve the gift of freedom, right? Now think about this. We were told, we were told time and time again over the last two years, we got to keep everybody safe. We got to keep everybody safe. Safety is paramount. Safety is always paramount. Well, that flies in the face of what God says. God never says, go and be safe. God says, go go and, and, and he says, go and be free. He says, go and obey my word and set the captives free. Well, Think about this. Did God value safety when he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden for Adam and Eve? Absolutely not. Nope. That, that flew in the face of everything that was safe. God knew full well that Adam and Eve were going to disobey him, take of that tree and the fruit, eat of it, cause destruction upon destruction for generations. And they had free will. And they, and they had free will, right? He knew that. He God was not unaware that this was going to happen, but yet... For the sake of freedom, he still did it. If God values freedom that much, boy, shouldn't pastors and churches go out and fight for freedom just as hard? But no, we're too busy hunkering down in our basements watching online church over the last two years. When people are dying and going to hell, they're being they're, they're totally caught in their chains of bondage. Mm-hmm. Sex slavery is on the rise around the world. The church was hunkered down in their houses. Why? Because their pastor said, we need to keep everybody safe. If I ever hear a pastor say, we need to keep everybody safe again, I've se- I'm going to punch him in the nose, I feel like. Because I'm just gonna, <laughs> it's going to be like Jesus flipping over the tables. I'm so tired yeah. of pastors making safety an idol. It's not about being safe. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's not safe. But boy, God is good. And if you follow him, it's going to be an amazing ride. But but don't stay safe. Stay ready. That's been our call to yeah. our church for the last two years. Don't stay safe. Stay ready and be ready yeah. for be ready for fight. I just did a message in, on Sunday and the title of it was see wis pacum parabellum. It's a it's a Latin phrase. It means this. If you wish for peace prepare for war. And that's where we're at right now. We want peace. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. Well, there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And and we've turned our churches into being peacekeepers. And peacekeepers don't do anything but make things worse. Peacemakers will go to battle. They'll fight for what's yep. right. They'll go to They'll go to war with evil so that we can make peace. So if you're listening to this today, go and be a peacemaker. If you wish for peace, prepare for war. And I think that's the best, that's the time we're in right now. We, we are, we need to be prepared for war because the battle is here and, uh, and we need to fight for, for truth in our culture. 
Oh, Micah, that is so good. <laughs> it, is, it is, you know, and and I, I so appreciate your boldness and just being ready to go. And so before we before we um, cut this off and, and be done, um, yeah. tell me you and former att- Attorney General Curtis Hill, um, yep. you guys are going to be going out and tell me what you're going to be doing on tour. Yeah, so because I think gonna, I, I would love I would love for people to be able to connect with you and meet up with you at these different these different events. Absolutely. So you can uh, reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram. My uh, handle is Micah Beckwith for Indiana, or on Facebook and on Instagram it's Micah for Indiana. If you have any interest in you know, just like anything I've said or um, what Curtis Hill and I are going to be doing, uh, along with Lucas Miles. Uh, Lucas okay. is an author. Um, he wrote an amazing book called The Christian Left. Um, and it's all about how Marxism is in, is in, uh, is getting a foothold in the church. Um, it's, it's a fascinating book. And uh, Lucas speaks um, uh, all around the all around the country, uh, as as does Curtis. I mean, I think most people probably from Indiana know Curtis and he's been a strong advocate for conservative values. But but we're going to be doing a thing called a God and Country uh, conference tour. So essentially God and country tour. And we're going to be speaking on these issues. We're going to, we're going to, we want it to inspire and encourage the church to engage, but then we also want you to know how to engage. And, and so where Lucas and I are coming from is from a place of what does God's word say about engaging in government, right? And so we'll lay that out for you. And then Curtis will come from a place of, of actual practical um, how to engage in government. I mean, Curtis was effective as an attorney general for Indiana, and he he got a lot of good things accomplished through the legal process and and also in the political realm. And so there's this idea of wisdom and knowledge. And you know, when Solomon prayed and asked the Lord uh, for when when God said, Solomon, what what do you want for me? You know, Solomon didn't ask for wealth or power or anything of the, anything like that. He said, I he asked the Lord for two things. If you go to Second Chronicles, you can see it says he asked the Lord for wisdom and for knowledge. And, and so, and, and the Lord really hit me uh, with that passage of uh, a few months ago. He said, Micah, there's, you can't have one without the other. So you have, if you want to be effective in the world, you got to have wisdom and knowledge. A lot of times it's in the church, we just think we have to have wisdom. And a lot of people in the church do have wisdom, but they don't know what to do with that wisdom. They have no knowledge, right? But a lot of times in the world, people have a lot of knowledge. They know how to get things done, but without having wisdom, the knowledge turns into a very destructive force because it begins to it begins to warp the truth. And then the knowledge works against wisdom eventually. So you have to have wisdom and knowledge. And so what the God and Country Tour is designed to do is to bring wisdom and knowledge together for, for an evening. If you want it at your church, if you want us to come to your place, just reach out. We'll do it. I mean, it's very... It'll be super, super affordable. I mean, almost to the point where, it'll, you know, we're going to probably uh, incur the costs on our end just because we we uh, we care so much about this. Turning Point USA, uh, we're working with them as well, um, and they might get behind it and, and help cover a lot of the costs that are going to that are going to be there. But but we don't want anybody to not have a chance to to hear how wisdom and knowledge have to unify around truth so that we can be effective in the family in the church and in government, the three institutions yeah. that God set up that still exist to this day. That is, that is awesome. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to see where you guys are. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first one, uh, the first one that we're going to have is uh, April 11th. Uh, and that's going to be, okay. uh, we're kicking it off at my church in Noblesville, Life Church, Noblesville, uh, April 11th, doors will open, uh, I think probably around six 30. Um, there'll be more that we'll get more details on that, but if you're able to come, please come. I think you'll be blessed. Um, and it's, uh, 
it, it, it hopefully will inspire you and and equip you to go out and make a huge difference for the kingdom. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Good. Well, and, and for everybody listening, I will make sure to leave all this information in the show notes. So you guys can Great. go ahead and you can find all those links that you need. Well, Micah, thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciated it and love hearing from you, especially from a Thanks, pastor's Amber. perspective. And well, uh, and I just, can I say this too, Amber? You yeah. and Mark are doing a great, a great work. Thank you for what you guys are doing too. Uh, you got to expose the the lies and the, and the wickedness in the world. And you guys do a good job of pointing that out so that we as pastors can say, there it is. Now we know where to yeah. go to, to fight it. And, uh, and so you guys are just doing a phenomenal job. So thank you for what you're doing. And and then also to uh, shameless plug here, we have a podcast uh, that I do with uh, um, uh, Nathan Peter now, who's um, he's the lead pastor of Life Church. So I'm a campus pastor, but Nathan's the lead pastor of all of our campuses. And and uh, and so he, him, and I have a podcast called Jesus, Sex, and Politics. So mm-hmm. we we get real. Uh, I mean, we're we're unapologetically bold, and we we tell you what God's word says on everything. We dive into all those tough issues that nobody likes to talk about because we're all scared to talk about them. And we love talking about them here. So, um, so check it out. Hey, it's needed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it's needed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for sticking around to the end. That is all the time we have today. You guys have a wonderfully blessed week and we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. 